So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry. Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, California has some really serious power problems, and there's three reasons for these problems. The first one is we simply don't have enough power during heat waves, and that is going to only get worse with global warming, and it gets worse with droughts because there's less hydro. The second reason is that electricity rates are going through the roof, and that's a big problem for everybody in California that uses electricity. And those electric rates are going to continue to go up with inflation and more utility investments. The more power investments we put into the state, the higher the electric rates go. And the third big problem is that electrification, which is a good thing, which is what we need to do to minimize the problems with global warming. But that widespread electrification is going to require even more power. No more gas cars being sold in California after 2035 is going to mean that between now and then we're making a big transition towards electric vehicles. We'll use less gasoline, but we're going to need a lot more electricity for those cars. And we're going to electrify all the buildings. And obviously this is going to take a long time, but it substitutes natural gas for electricity. And so it's even more demand there. So the business as usual solution will not solve California's power shortages. And you can just see what's happened over the last 10 years. And we'll talk about how much electric rates have gone up, but it keeps getting worse and worse as the economy grows and we try and adopt this new technology. But this new technology is inconsistent with the way our grid works. And it's not just a California problem. What's happening in California with power shortages and high electricity costs, those issues are going to happen all around the United States. So on this podcast, let's kind of dig into the cause of these problems and then what potential solutions are. First, insufficient power during heat waves. When the temperature goes higher, more people use air conditioning. And especially when you have multiple days of high temperatures, the buildings literally heat up. And so they need more air conditioning to hit our comfort targets. Now, also, there's more people in California. Population keeps going up. And we're making that progress towards electrification, especially electric vehicles. Those things gobble up a lot of power when you plug them in. So currently, and we're kind of going into a heat wave right now, it's September. The demand for electricity is dangerously close to the total available supply of electricity. And electricity generally is not something you could kind of store unless you put it in a battery, don't have enough batteries. So during a series of hot days, on late afternoons, when air conditioning demand peaks, people come home from work, they turn on the air conditioner. And when there's less solar, because we're getting a lot of power from solar, there's no solar supply um, in late afternoons and in the evenings, it totally drops off. That's when we have those biggest problems. So in a typical heat wave, like the one that we're kind of going into now, I just pulled some numbers from the ISO, the independent systems operator, 48,000 total megawatts of available power, 48 gigawatts in, in solar speak. And the expected demand is about 45,000 megawatts. That's too close to comfort. If a power plant goes down, if the wind turbines stop working, if there's 
temperatures higher than we expect, too close to comfort, and we're going to have to start rolling blackouts, which we've done before. All right, there's not enough power. What are the sources of power in California? I kind of look at it at a high level. Three different sources of power. You've got utility power. That's what's going into the house or business. You've got rooftop solar and storage, which provides a lot of power for buildings in California. I think there's 12.5% of the homes in California have solar on them. And the third isn't really a source. We call it demand response. It's basically telling customers to use less power. So it's kind of a way of conserving. It's not a source, but it has the same impact of reducing the total demand on the grid. All right. So what are the solutions to simply the problem of insufficient power in California? Well, first thing we try and do is we try and import more power from out of state, especially solar farms in the desert, kind of towards the east, and especially the Pacific Northwest, where there's usually a lot of hydroelectric power available. Now, you have to send that power on long-distance power transmission lines, It's extremely expensive to build those lines and maintain those lines, and there's losses on those lines, and it has a tendency to raise rates a lot. That's the biggest factor of increases in rates. Now, the other thing you remember, these big heat waves that hit the West Coast, they're going to hit the Pacific Northwest too, so they may not have as much extra power as we depend on. All right, now, a second source of power is hydroelectric. There's a lot of dams, and when there's water in those reservoirs behind the dams, That's a lot of power capability, and and you can actually store that energy in those reservoirs. When you need the power, you open up the spillway, and then you're generating power from those dams. But we don't have a lot of water. We're also in the middle of a drought. (laughs) Those reservoirs really don't have the capacity. We're not even getting the snow melt that we used to expect because there wasn't as much snow in the snares. So hydroelectric power, you know, not as much as we had hoped, maybe almost none when we come into the fall. Another good source has typically historically been nuclear power, but it's much less than before. We only have one active nuclear plant in California, Diablo Canyon Power Plant, and that's going to be decommissioned. But then there's a recent decision in California to keep that plant operating for another five years, maybe 10, but it's going to be another five years. So that's going to help. I have historically not been a big fan of nuclear power, even since my my college days, but I really, the reality is we need that power because we just don't have enough. And if we do the right thing in terms of building more renewable energy power plants and batteries, we can eventually turn that plant off. But right now, we're not adding enough capacity and we need that power. Okay, so in California, since all these other sources are kind of minimum, we've been for the last five years, the last 10 years, doing the easy thing, which is putting in more natural gas plants. We call them peaker plants because they're off during the day, but in the late afternoon when the power demand spike, we can turn those plants on to meet the peak load. Natural gas is polluting, but it's the best available option now. So we're putting in more of those plants and we hope to take them out, but they're still going in. Now, the better alternatives are things like battery storage. So I'm going to kind of look at that in two ways. Utilities are putting in battery storage plants just network of lots and lots of small batteries. It adds up to big batteries. And those batteries can provide quite a bit of power for a short period of time, a few hours. They're expensive to construct. They raise rates because these are utility assets and they charge a lot of money for that. And that raises rates significantly. But that's a good solution. They take a long time to build. It's not that fast, but they're, they're there and they're useful and the utilities love them. So they're trying to put in as many battery storage plants as they can. A better option 
is to use the batteries that customers have. My house has batteries. Most of our customers are putting in batteries. And when those batteries are in place, they have two big benefits. First, the customers that have those batteries don't need to draw power from the grid in late afternoons and evenings or at night. In my house, I never draw any power from the grid until maybe after midnight when I charge up my car because I'm running off of the batteries. The second big benefit of those batteries is a technology and a system called a virtual power plant. So if there are hour or two shortages of power, these homeowner batteries, and eventually they could also be in commercial buildings, they can be turned on and tapped to feed power back to the grid. So in addition to just providing the power that the home needs, you can actually sell that power back to the grid. It costs the ratepayers nothing. It's free for the grid. And these battery systems, especially VPPs, are very fast to deploy. It's basically just software and working out the politics and the regulations related to tapping into this network of, you know, we could have a million batteries operating in California in a few years for these little virtual power plants. They may be 10 or 20 kilowatt hours each, that adds up a lot. Very fast to deploy, very good solution, only one problem. Utilities don't own that asset. They want to own it. They want to profit from it, but this is a good option. And then the third option is demand response. Home Connect is a company that has a great way of letting people know when they should turn their thermostat up on a really hot day to use less power. And so those demand response options are also out there and also relatively free. But what's happened is the state of California has cast their lot with utilities. The state depends on the established utility business model to keep the lights on. However, that model, and as you all know in California, the utilities are failing miserably in all three important dimensions that they're required to meet. They're failing miserably because the costs are going through the roof, so it's costing everybody a ton of money for electricity. Obviously failing miserably because of the safety issues caused by wildfires. And they're failing miserably because they don't have enough reliability. The power's going out. We have these situations where we're being told right now in California, don't turn your thermostat up, don't charge your car in the afternoon, et cetera, et cetera. They're not able to meet those reliability goals. So kind of you say, well, why is the state so committed to the utility business model? Really simple reason. The utilities in California are the biggest contributors to legislators and politicians and the governor. So those politicians are really kind of literally in the pocket of the utilities. And so why do the utilities want to do that? Well, the utilities make their profits not by how much electricity they sell. They make their profits when they build power plants, when they build new transmission lines, when they build new infrastructure. They get a guaranteed profit every single year of 10% on their net assets, power plants, transmission lines, substations, those are assets, trucks, buildings, etc. They also get, and this is kind of staggering, a 12% guaranteed rate of return on transmission lines. So when PG&E buries 10,000 miles of transmission lines, they get a 12% return on that for 50 years. It's a ton of money. So because they're making so much money on these assets, they actively discourage 
other people, other homes, other businesses from putting in their own power plants, from putting in rooftop solar, from putting in storage. They discourage it. How do they discourage that? They add monthly taxes to rooftop solar. This is something that we've been fighting very, very hard. CalSA has been fighting against the solar tax, and the utilities are doing their best to kind of put that through. They're adding needless costs to installations, making it really complicated to interconnect to the grid. They're taking away the net metering benefits that have really driven the growth of solar. So they're making it less cost-effective for people to sell power back to the grid. And the grid needs the power, but if the utilities don't make it cost-effective for people to sell that power back. They're not going to put in solar power plants, and then the utilities are going to build more plants. That's how it works. They're also really sly. They're discouraging a concept called community solar. They're making it almost impossible and not cost-effective to build community solar power plants in California. They're also discouraging people from putting in their own storage batteries. They're not supportive of demand response, even though they may talk about it a little bit. So until this situation changes, we in California are pretty beholden to the utilities. Okay. All right. So we talked about those causes. Now let's look at the second problem. And this one I've done podcasts on already. Skyrocketing electric rates. So I just took a look at the electricity rates in California for the average homeowner from 2000 to 2022. The rates went up about 3% from the year 2000 to 2015. Every single year rates went up 3%. A little bit more than inflation, but not terrible. Then in 2016 to 2020, rates started going up at 6%. And now a situation last year in 2021 and this year in 2022, In each year, so far, rates have gone up by 14%. And we're in a high inflation environment right now. Inflation is about 7 or 8%. That inflation hasn't even hit rates yet for 2023. So on top of the rate increases that they think that we would experience because of additional build-out of power plants and transmission lines from utilities, there's going to be another increase based on inflation. So why did these rates go up? That's what we talked about. There's much more utility investments. Now, let's kind of taking a step back and being really objective. It's good that the utilities have utility solar plants. It's conceptually a good thing. Those really big solar plants can be built very inexpensively. Less than three cents a kilowatt hour for generation costs compared to what you might see if you put solar on your roof, might be six or seven cents a kilowatt hour. Because they're building huge plants, it's cheaper than when you just put 30 solar panels on your roof. But the main reason for this rapid increase in electric rates is because of the build-out of long-distance transmission lines. Super expensive to build these lines, super expensive to bury them, and very expensive to maintain them. So, for example, this just flabbergasts me how expensive it's going to be to bury 10,000 miles of power lines. So pg and talking about that. They're going to be the hero. They're going to take these burning above-ground power lines, and they're going to put them underground, and then they don't really talk about the price. And let's talk about the price. Their price right now is about $4 million a mile to bury power lines. 10,000 miles, that's $40 billion. On top of that, they're going to get a guaranteed profit of 12% on these transmission lines for 50 years. So that's another $4.8 billion a year of guaranteed profit that they get on those transmission lines. Plus maintenance. I'm not even include the maintenance. But if we just add up the $40 billion of construction costs over 10 years and the $4.8 billion per year or $48 billion increase in their profit for 10 years, that's $88 billion on these transmission lines. 
plus maintenance. All right, let's round it off to $100 billion. Since this is my Dr. Evil voice, $100 billion. That's how much it's going to cost to bury 10,000 miles of transmission lines, and all those costs are going to end up in electricity increases. Staggering amount of money. So in addition to these power lines, that $100 billion over 10 years, that's just for 10,000 miles of power lines. The utilities are investing quite a bit in substations, in battery storage plants, and EV chargers all over the place. Now, the state has committed, the Public Utilities Commission's committing to these huge investments because they've been brainwashed and bribed, brainwashed and bribed, mostly bribed, that that's the only way we can meet this power crisis. It leads to the obvious conclusion, if we're going to spend all this money, that California electric rates are going to continue to escalate. I'm using a conservative number, 10% a year. As I said, last two years, they've gone up 14%. So let's just stick with 10%. It's going to be more. Utilities don't want you to know this. And our state government ignores this future problem. It's going to be up to the next governor that's going to have to say, uh, well, gee, uh, average electricity rates in California are now a dollar a kilowatt hour. Right now, they're about 35 or 40 cents, but they're going to be a dollar in five years. It's just going to blow people away. It's a huge cost. Oh, by the way, you're going to be filling up your car at those average rates instead of buying gasoline. All right. Third big problem as far as why we have this power crisis in California, demand is increasing. We know we don't have enough power now, and we know that electric rates are going to continue to go up fast. But the future demand for electricity, not only because more people are moving to California, but no more gasoline cars sold after 2035. We're converting to an electric car fleet now. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of gas cars going probably you know well into the 2050s, 2060s. But that's a ton of more, ton gigawatt hours of more electricity demand every single year. We're also electrifying all our buildings so that there's no more natural gas. We're going to be heating our buildings with electricity. It works great. It's super efficient. If you have fairly priced electricity, it's way cheaper than natural gas. But at a dollar a kilowatt hour, it's going to be pretty painful. So I estimate, this is really just a ballpark, but California electricity usage is going to increase another 50% per capita as we electrify our transportation and we electrify our buildings. Okay, all right, I'm just talking about all these terrible problems. What are some of the possible solutions? Let's just brainstorm about what we can do about this. One thing we can do is we can go back to the fossil fuel age or we can just stay in the fossil fuel age and we put in more gas plants, we put in gas and diesel generators and there's going to be people screaming for that when the electricity is a buck a kilowatt hour. We keep running gas cars, we use gas heat, it's polluting, it's not an option, we're not moving there, we've committed as a state and certainly eventually as a country to transition away from fossil fuels. All right, more nuclear. Well, nuclear, philosophically, I don't like it, but realistically, it's kind of the best option. That's why I'm in favor of keeping Diablo Canyon power plant active. But a new nuke takes over 20 years to build. I think there's only one or two left that are in construction in the U.S. And those plants have taken more than 20 years, more than $30 billion to build. Not a timely solution, not a cost-effective solution. $30 billion per plant can buy a heck of a lot of batteries and solar panels and wind turbines. All right, another solution, and we're kind of taking advantage of this, is more long-distance power transmission lines. But we talked about it. It's expensive. They cause fires, they're unreliable, and they're expensive. I kind of re- remind you of this expensive thing because it is really through the roof. And then the fourth solution are local sources of power. And I'm, we're looking at solar, 
batteries, things like that, solar and storage in every available building. Not completing, not a replacement for existing utility power, not a substitute, but in conjunction with, but really using that fast to deploy technology to get us out of this emergency problem. Plus, community solar and community storage, getting the utilities out of the business of regulating and preventing competitive sources of affordable power. All right, so we talk about why is utility power expensive compared to distributed generation power? Let's kind of dig into that. So distributed generation or DG power is power that's generated locally and consumed locally. Now let's look at some numbers. We know how much utility power costs. Well, we do if you look at your electric bill. My electric bill, I'm averaging about 35 cents a kilowatt hour in California, over 50 cents when I draw power at night, a little bit less. When I draw power at peak times, a little bit less down around the high 20s when I'm buying power in the middle of the night. But just average California rate, 35 cents a kilowatt hour. Now, we also know how much rooftop solar and storage costs. We're putting solar systems on people's roofs. If it's not a super complicated roof with fancy equipment, it's about six cents a kilowatt hour over 25 years. And the battery storage adds another about three cents a kilowatt hour over 25 years, keeping in mind that the battery's not going to last 25 years. So we got to refresh that. So let's round up the distributed generation costs for a home or a business. Let's call it 10 cents a kilowatt hour compared to 35 cents a kilowatt hour. And, and by the way, this applies to commercial buildings too. We just got a notice in the mail from PG&E that our commercial electric rates are also going up a heck of a lot. So 10 cents versus 35. Let's just work with round numbers. Distributed generation power with batteries on buildings is less than one third of the cost of utility power. Now, for utility power, those transmission lines, those substations, those big buildings and all those vehicles and, and substations that the utilities are building, that's paid by all ratepayers. Now we're also, taxpayers are paying that because the utilities are having trouble meeting their budgets. The utilities need a loan to continue the operation of the Diablo Canyon plant. The utilities go bankrupt and the state has to bail them out. So who pays for utility power? Everybody. Now who pays for distributed generation power? Solar panels on the roof and those batteries. The owner of the home, the owner of the commercial building. There's easy funding for this equipment, for people and businesses at all income levels. You can borrow the money for that. You can get a PPA, you can get a home equity loan, you can get a credit union loan at still less than 3% rate on these loans. And these DG systems, when they're funded like that or people pay cash for it, there's no impact on ratepayers or the state government. It doesn't cost the government anything. So DG power is cheaper. Now, Let's talk about how fast it is to deploy. When you're putting solar on your commercial or residential building, there's not a years-long permitting process and a complicated bidding process. And really, it's not disruptive. You don't need long-distance transmission lines. There's no financing issues. DG power on buildings is more efficient. You're not losing, it's called line loss. When you're transmitting power from Seattle or Pacific Northwest all the way down to San Jose, there's a lot of line losses. None of that if the power is generated on the building and consumed in the building. These systems are safer. We're not having wildfires caused by bad transmission lines or somebody leaving a hook that was holding up the wire for 100 years and they don't maintain it. So you kind of look at this $100 billion. We can have adequate solar and storage on almost every building in California with a sunny rooftop in fewer than five years. There's the capacity to do that. 
I just kind of looked at it with the numbers for homes. There's 7.5 million single-family homes in California. Let's assume that we put solar on 3 million of those homes at $30,000 per home, including the battery. We're going to do this in, in higher volumes. That's $100 billion. It's roughly the same cost as burying just the 10,000 miles of transmission lines that PG&E wants to do. So way faster, no impact on ratepayers, on taxpayers. It's all paid by the owners of the buildings. Super cheap, no escalation, makes total sense, and it ends up being cheaper for all California residents. So the conclusion, kind of taking a step back, distributed generation solar that we're going to use to reinforce the existing electric grid instead of the path that the state is going down, which is adding to this obsolete long-distance transmission project, long-distance transmission lines, and utility-owned assets, it's much more cost-effective. It's much faster to use distributed generation technology, solar and batteries on every single building. We can do that in five years. As I said, it's cheaper. No ratepayer funds, no taxpayer funds, and much more efficient. So taking a step back, Remember, distributed generation technology, solar on the roof of buildings, batteries supporting that, enables both local and central power supplies. It's not an either-or thing. We can do both. The problem is, and the reason why we're not doing it, is money and the way that the politicians are controlled by the utilities. The utilities lose profits from this technology if they don't own the installations. And the utilities know if they sprinkle $50 million of money around every year to politicians to support those candidates, those candidates and that government or legislators or governors, et cetera, they're going to stick with that utility business model because that's what kind of keeps them in office. But the reality is we must somehow change that utility business model. But the utilities have a monopoly. They're there. Now, we've had situations, think about the Telecom Act, where we were able to overturn a longstanding telecommunications utility business model. That's kind of what we're going to have to do. So we'll kind of see where this kind of ends up. But what are you going to do? So just looking at the two actions that everybody listening to this podcast can take. First, and this is somewhat selfish because I'm in the solar and the battery business, but you can all take individual action to install your own inexpensive and reliable power system. Take advantage of the, and if you, you don't have the capital for it, take advantage of the private and public funding sources are there. Almost every single one of these systems that installers put in, not my company, there's probably 10,000 other solar companies around the country, putting in systems, they're reliable, and they're almost always cash flow positive. So you look at how much money you save on your electric bill, your financing costs are going to be much less. So first, take individual action. You don't have to worry about the next blackout. You can, in a few months, have your own power supply. Second, tell your local political representatives that you do not want the utilities, the investor-owned utilities, to own the power grid. Make sure politicians that you support are behind you and support your rights to install your own solar and storage systems, especially without bad metering decisions, bad solar taxes, or bad policies that are going to restrict the distributed generation and are going to support these obsolete utility business models. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you miss any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinema.energy and listen to the podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Energy Show. Barry wants everyone to benefit from clean energy. So if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.